0: Navigating the Datascape with Porter Chavez and special guests.
1: Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Datascape podcast. Today, we are going to be covering the latest and greatest updates from Microsoft, from the Microsoft Build conference that just finished about three days ago from the time that Luan and I are recording this conversation. So joining me again the most expert big data man in Brazil, Luan Moreno Maciel. Luan, please say hi to the audience and introduce yourself.
0: Yeah, first, uh, thanks again for having me. It's a pleasure. It's becoming like, I think, uh, just normal that you host hosting me. It's just, just thank you so much for this opportunity. For those that doesn't know me, my name is Luan Moreno. I just work as a project data engineer at PTN. I'm just dealing with big data products and any problems regarding that matter. So it's just, thank you so much. Juan. And, my,
1: and Luan is a Microsoft data platform MVP as well. The man is too, too humble. All right. So let's talk about build just finished wrapping up as always. Luan and I are going to discuss the main announcements that we thought were the most interesting that we really want to talk about, but the list is not exhaustive. If you want to see, All the announcements It's pretty big, but you can just go into your favorite Internet search engine and then search for Microsoft Build 2022 book of news and you'll be able to read the whole thing. So let's get going. First, let's talk about all the data platform announcements. So first one I want to cover, just something real quick, is that Microsoft. Has created a new marketing branding umbrella for all the data-related offerings. It's called the Microsoft Intelligent Data Platform. And sometimes these rebrandings kind of confuse people because they think that the Microsoft Intelligent Data Platform is actually like is a new product, but it's it's really just a new name, right? It's just name. It's just a name for things that are already there. So basically, somebody thought. You know, we have Synapse Analytics. We have the whole family of SQL databases. Now we also have a, you know, Cosmos DB is a great NoSQL database. We have Azure Machine Learning. Uh, We have new offerings in the cognitive services space as well, which we'll talk about later in this podcast. And then somebody in marketing thought, but how come we don't have a name for all of those things together, right? So that's all it is. It's just the Microsoft intelligent data platform. If you are going to hear about it later uh, this year, just know that it's not really a product itself. It's just an umbrella term for the entire family of Microsoft and Azure data products. All right. So, and one of the most important announcements uh, following up from the previous announcement that was done last year or, or maybe early this year is um, more information about SQL Server. 2022. Now, there's some really cool stuff there. Uh, Luan and Fabiano and I discussed uh, more at length about SQL Server 2022 in a previous episode. You can go and check it out. But we want to revisit some of the stuff because there are a few new announcements here. So we have um, SQL Server 2022. We know that it's going to come integrated with Azure Synapse Link. So it allows us to do no ETL communication between on-prem or virtualized SQL Server 2022 into your Synapse Analytics um, service. That's really cool. It comes with integration to Purview. It comes with the possibility to do on-prem to Azure managed instance uh, disaster recovery. So that's also really cool. Um, and there's a, li- a lot of other a lot of other tidbits about intelligent query processing being improved. Um, we got some uh, some new uh, features on external tables. And we also have the new uh, Ledger table capability. Mm-hmm. Luan, uh, a- any thoughts? Some of your favorite updates there for SQL 2022. What do you think oh, are the yeah. biggest ones?
0: Uh, I think that uh, more and more we've seen, I mean, the no ETL things just getting a lot of friction. Uh have seen like a lot of customers just getting away from building ETL processes and just getting this out of the box for products. So I think that SQL Server two thousand twenty two brings the Azure Synapse link, which had been announced previously, but I think it now is just in GA, if I'm not mistaken, right? It's just well, it's in
1: preview right now. So SQL twenty twenty two is not is not in GA yet, right?
0: Yeah, but but I think in the time that they release twenty twenty two, they would have the synapse. It link. should be. Yeah. So, yeah, it, yeah, should, it be. should be. And that's interesting because you can do it for Cosmos, you can use SQL Server, and also you have the capability to query data on store.
1: So I think... I believe it's in preview right now for Azure SQL Database. Yeah. yeah. So that's pretty cool, right? So the people that are not familiar with this, the idea is that if you have, let's say, 200 databases in Azure SQL Database, and you're thinking, oh, I want to aggregate this data for data warehousing analytics, instead of having to build or configure, you know, 200 pipelines, all you have to do is enable the Synapse link in the databases, and you'll be able to do ETL, not no ETL processing of this data from Synapse, right? So yeah. you don't have to write any ETL. You simply query directly from um, Synapse to the azure sql database but it's not even just like an actual um like a link server sometimes people think it's oh it's just a link server what's the big deal right but it's not quite a link server so under the under the covers if you enable the synapse link microsoft has a service that will take that data and will convert it to columnar format so even if you're not using columnar because, you know, you're, you're working with an OLTP database. That's the, the the cool thing about it, right? You enable the Synapse link, and under the scenes, Microsoft converts the data to columnar format, so it's optimized for analytics. And when you are querying it, you're not hitting the database itself. You're hitting the analytical storage where Microsoft has converted the data into columnar. So that's really the cool yeah, part, the really magic sauce, right?
0: Which they call, like, this process HTAP, Hybrid Transactional Analytical Processing. So this is the middle tier where they just bring the data converts from row to columnar storage, and then you can query the data safely without conflicting your queries into your mainstream product process, mm-hmm. which is pretty interesting, by the way. Um, I think another, uh, another thing that <laughs> SQL Server 2022 is just bringing, is about external tables. They right. are more and more extending the capability of Polybase. We've seen that in 2000 yeah. release, to a 2021 release, they open up more broadly op- the Polybase to query not only. You know the viable Azure services, but now Oracle, MongoDB, and other Mm -hmm. services. Yeah. And now they enable the capability to query through the MinIO storage. So just a little briefly about MinIO. So just MinIO is just object storage, such as Blob storage, S3, or Google Cloud storage. So it's just uh, Mm -hmm. an open. It sounds like ATTFS. But okay. the thing is that it's a Kubernetes storage. so okay. you can deploy your data lake inside of Kubernetes and then me re- your response for S3 protocol. So okay. now you can query S3 protocol, but actually you query inside of this Kubernetes object storage. okay and That's SQL cool. server 2022 yeah, and it uh, allows you to query external tables for there. So if you have any data, anything sitting there, you'll now capable. you know you're, you're going to be capable of doing this this query, it just sounds really cool for Kubernetes lovers.
1: Okay. That's interesting. Yeah. So it's an integration to uh, the Kubernetes object storage then. And then the idea would be obviously that just how, you know, it existed before for HDFS or for Oracle for MongoDB, it makes it really, um, really easy and really fast to query that external storage from your SQL server, right? True. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's cool. Uh, The only thing I want to say for sure is that um, keep in mind, SQL Server 2022 is not out yet. So if anybody is interested, I think you can download the preview right now and play around with it. Um, And who knows, maybe by the time that it does come out, there might be a couple of new features uh, announced. But at this point, it seems like all the major features have been announced. And it is a it's a release that seems to be built mostly on integrations, right? We're talking about this new external table, so that's a point of integration. And obviously, the biggest integration is a release that is built for hybrid cloud, right? To run SQL Server and also tightly integrated to Azure. And,
0: and I think also empowers the name of the branding like Microsoft Intelligent Data Platform as well, right?
1: <laughs> Just... Yeah, that makes sense, right? The whole platform, yeah. all the products are integrated in some way, right? Uh, SQL Server and Azure SQL DB tightly integrated to Synapse, all of them tightly integrated into Purview, right? which we'll talk about as well later on today. All right, cool. So let's move on to Cosmos DB. This is one of my favorite NoSQL products. Uh, I I mention it every single time. There is no equivalent, uh, fully managed first-party cloud provider product such as Cosmos DB. Uh, I'm a big fanboy of this product. I think it's great. And we have some new burst capacity and elasticity features um some of them for example increase serverless capacity to one terabyte so you can have two, up to up to one terabyte cosmos db database uh, fully serverless right this is really cool and it really allows people to um, not have to worry too much about the whole uh, request units until it really becomes a really busy system right so you could even start just with serverless and as you grow move into the uh, full request unit reservation model, right? Yeah, but it gives you
0: like a lot of room, like one terabyte of data sitting there, it's just a lot of data.
1: Yeah, one terabyte is quite a bit. And to do it all serverless, it's it's very cool. Yeah, it's really cool. And to improve that as well, so there's a lot of improvements here in terms of how efficient Cosmos DB is in using the compute. Now we also have that shared throughput Uh, throughput can be shared across database partitions. So if you're not familiar with this, Cosmos DB, works similar to other NoSQL databases, right? It automatically partitions your data and distributes it horizontally. But what happened was that if you would reserve a certain amount of throughput, it would be statically divided by database partitions, right? So even if one particular partition was not being used, then some of the resources were reserved for it and then it would make the hot-spotting problem uh, happen, even if the system wasn't particularly busy, right? So now we have shared throughput across database partitions, which should help uh, make more efficient use of the compute power. That's also pretty, pretty cool. Um, developers also they have uh, some new ways um to test it so we got uh cosmos db has an improved 30-day free trial so if somebody has never played around with it you can play with it for free for 30 days that has been uh extended so now it's a full month of free cosmos db that you get and um, now also if you're running cosmos db with the local emulator because you don't let's say for example you're just trying to develop without using up any cloud spent then you can also uh the emulator now supports mongo as well. And finally, we have now continuous backup and point in time restore capability, which before we it uh, was based mostly on snapshots I think a snapshot was taken every few hours. Now we actually have full continuous backup and point in time capability. Your thoughts on Cosmos DB, Luan, how do you feel? Is the product uh... getting enough traction? Uh, do you think these are interesting? Do you think it's the right direction?
0: Yeah, I think if, just, if you look back two to three years back, uh, we used to have some caveats by using Cosmos DB, uh, just pretty much, I think, leaning towards costs. But once they just roll out this serverless capacity and now they extend it to one terabyte of data, it makes super easy for people to you know dip their toes in the water and start to play around that, which is really cool, actually. And the other features like security enhancements on the Azure Cosmos DB API from MongoDB, also it has... You know, uh, really important things because we have, um, I would say, MongoDB customers that would like to leverage Cosmos DB mm. because of this entire infrastructure and how they deliver data, like multi-region access and things like those are really important for the business continuity. Uh, and I think more and more we're going to see customers just jumping in Cosmos. I think that's the the time that Microsoft, you know, just made his point by Bringing serverless, just open more broadly Cosmos DB, and make it easier to for developers and teams to use it. So I mean, for me, it's just phenomenal uh, database. I never seen something like that before. As you said, this is pretty interesting NoSQL database that gives you like this uh, all the different APIs, like a polyglot persistent. Uh, storage, it's just really cool. So full, uh, I think
1: full we... multi big, biggest thing is full multi rider globally, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah that, that's, insane. that's insane.
0: That's insane. And it
1: is so easy to set up too. like, it, yes. it takes two seconds to set it up in the, portal. it's like a
0: flag. I don't remember, it, but I think yeah, it's the flag it, stuff,
1: you just right? go in the portal, you click in like the map and you have full multi rider with different, uh, tunable consistency levels and automatic um collision resolution right
0: yeah so, and, and you see these are the important thing <laughs> these are the funny things you know you just have to enable something but behind the scenes just it just it just have like a big team just to, oh like, yeah just enable yeah. flag which is crazy it's, to it's crazy to yeah.
1: it is yeah. pretty pretty yeah. amazing yeah. and the cool thing about it is that it the multi-writer capability is fully supported by the azure synapse link so you could do something like cosmos db in the us cosmos db in germany and then your synapse in maybe like you know in a different place of the us and you can query from the synapse the full state of your cosmos db globally so you can do global analytics with um no etl with one synapse link so yeah, yeah. it's pretty pretty That's- cool all right do you want to walk us through the azure sql database updates
0: yes i think that the first one that we have here in the line it's really cool and i i have been as you know i have been working a lot of azure functions Absolutely, nowadays. Yeah and to see this integration makes me feel happy because i was expecting to see something like that before uh, but you know just it, it's out there now so now we have the capability to use azure functions to either input or output binding on azure functions so now for example whenever a new data arrives on azure sql database i can just use the functions to pick that data or i can write it out into azure sql database in python javascript and other languages mm-hmm. So I, I think that brings like that open up the, and, and I think, I mean, honestly, thinking about the, the, the latest releases about the Azure SQL database more and more, and I don't know if you agree with me, but more and more I see Azure SQL database becoming like a unique monster in the whole database systems because now, for example, we have hyperscale and I don't see in other places something like that like that you can have a huge massive throughput using a relational database and you can use for streaming and also you can have for batch um I, I don't think that we have something like this instead of you know just on well, Google. AWS
1: a- but- AWS kind of tries to do the whole uh, lots of, of read read-only replicas capabilities with Aurora right and Mm-mm. uh yeah true i mean and google has spanner but it's really hard to compare spanner to azure sql db because
0: it's azure that sql sure db
1: yeah a spanner i mean a spanner is distributed fully full, distributed locally yeah. right um but at the same time spanner doesn't even support store procedures for example right so there's a lot of development features that you get from azure sql database that are not in spanner let's say Right. Yeah. Um, Google yeah. is coming out as well with a product called AlloyDB. Very, very new. They Alloy, just yeah, invented, very new. I think it was like two weeks ago. And it's basically kind of like similar is a uh, horizontally scalable for read workloads for PostgreSQL, PostgreSQL right? SQL. So they're kind of like, you know, they're kind of like entering this space of the hyperscale for OLTP, right? With lots and lots of read only um, scalability. Um, but uh, but uh, Microsoft has had Hyperscale now for, what, like two years?
0: Yeah, 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 uh-huh. for two years now.
1: And it's pretty cool as well. Not, not only that, the piece that, you know, you can have lots of read-only replicas, but also Hyperscale uh, because of the storage and the way it works, right? The things that you do to it are not dependent on the size of the data, right? So if you back it up, it just backs up fast. It's, it, doesn't depend, it doesn't matter if you have... You know, one terabyte or 10 terabytes, it's, it takes the same amount of time. If you restore it, it's the same. It's not a size of data operation, right? It's all driven by the the decoupling that they did of the compute engine and the storage engine. So it's it's pretty cool in that way. And I agree, Azure SQL Database has turned into its own, kind of like a, its own fork, right? Like its own fork of SQL Server in the cloud uh, and it is quite popular as well. If you go to like, uh, some people say that DB engine's ranking is meaningless, you know, but you're probably familiar with it. I'm sure, I know you <laughs> yeah, are, yeah. right? Sure. Um, but you can see that Azure SQL Database has has um, become a lot more popular over the last few years as well. All right, anyway, what what else do we got in the Azure SQL DB space? Okay.
0: I think that what I like is just making, you know, Microsoft users happy, like especially developers. So the okay. tight integration with Visual Studio Code and Azure Data Studio Experience, it get, like the extension to use Azure SQL Database, it gives you like a really neat place where you can build your, your thing. So they're enhancing way more a local development way for you to containerize your SQL Database. And then you can have a tight integration with these two toolings, which is okay. pretty cool. For this endpoint of development, there's mm-hmm. a new JSON constructor called East JSON, which kind of pretty much allow customers to validate JSON documents, and that's something you know. That's interesting as well. Validating that's really JSON documents, right? Yeah, it is very because useful. XML, yeah. yeah, really. If useful you do because... have to
1: actually do ETL, right? If you're, uh, we were just yeah. uh, talking so much about no ETL, but you know, a lot of ETL still gets developed with JSON, and it is important to be able to validate it, right?
0: Yes, and we used to have this feature on XML, I don't remember, X, XSD SD, to validate the XML on top mm. of, of the writing. But, you know, this is JSON feature is pretty cool, especially for, as you said, I mean, for ETL, just guarantee, you know, what we're expecting for the data. So it somehow just guarantees some, I don't know. <laughs> some construction there. Yeah. Uh, there's this new ledger. So can you tell me about this new ledger? Because it seems to be something, you know? Yeah,
1: yeah we covered this uh, previously with, with Fabiano as well. But for everybody that's not familiar, this is uh, one of the, I guess, one of the newest features that's coming out of Azure SQL DB. And it will be in SQL 2022 as well. And there's the capability of having immutable tables, right? That are validated cryptographically. So you can verify that the data from the table hasn't been modified. Um, and it's, I think it's mostly a compliance feature. It's kind of a, the, a SQL DB version of trying to do what uh, blockchains. Blockchain. Do as well, right. Addition, yes. So, I mean, I don't think it will have. I think the use case is narrow, so I don't think everybody will be using these. I think only, a, you know, very uh, specific industries right maybe something like finance related or compliance open finance related, open banking right? yeah. maybe yeah. those type of people will want to implement these ledger tables but other than that i don't think it's you know everybody will be using them um, right off the gate to be honest sure. all right yeah. let's see all right so we're talking about related to stuff that we talked about so azure synapse um The Azure Synapse link for Azure SQL Database. So we talked about that already. That is already out there now in preview. And we mentioned how important it is because it saves you the whole time to do the um, ETL. Right? You don't have to do ETL. If you want to transform, you can transform. But at least you don't have to worry about how you extract or load. So that's pretty cool. It saves you quite a bit of time. And then the other thing is that we are adding a new connection called the Microsoft Graph Data Connect. So that's basically the Microsoft Graph is the the data backend that allows you to look at all the objects and people and everything inside your Microsoft 365 subscription, right? And then the ability now is that you're able to tap into all that information in the Microsoft Graph from um, Synapse. And same thing, to do it with no ETL, right? So another cool integration uh, makes a lot of sense obviously since Microsoft wants to make it really easy for people to consume more Microsoft data from Synapse, right? What's your opinion lately on Synapse? Do you like the direction it's taken as well as Microsoft, you know, invested enough in it? How do you see it, uh, versus some of the other cloud providers? What's your you know?
0: Opinion? I was about to ask you that. Uh, I think now, um, when they first released uh, Reload Address Synapse Analytics. We didn't have anything actually that could compete with. But now we can see that Google has his, you know, uh flavor on the table, which is the big lake. But just if you ask me about how complete uh, uh I can say a platform could be, I still think that Agile Synapse Analytics brings everything combined in a perfect way. So per view now it's just getting way more integrated than with Azure Synapse Analytics, which is really cool. So we have seen customers asking for a new feature Supervio. I think we're gonna discuss later on here. Uh, also my my take on that is uh, for for new uh pipelines, I think the the direction is gonna go Azure Synapse Analytics rather than using the, the the other all the other services that we see out there on Azure. Uh but my my uh, let me just Re- Retrieve that the question for you. So, have you seen Azure Snaps Analytics being used more broadly for customers?
1: I, I do think so. I do think that it is has been adopted. I think it's a success as far as Microsoft is concerned. Um, I think that it still needs some work in some key critical areas. Um, my biggest pet peeve is the the lack of the auto resume and auto pause. Mm. That's that's like the biggest thing that bothers me that it does not do that for the dedicated pool. Um, But other than that, I I think that actually the service works remarkably well. Um, The fact that everything is integrated and it it just works out of the box, uh, considering how many things it has inside, right? We got the dedicated pool, the serverless pool, the Spark pool. Now we got the streaming data explorer pool. We got the pipelines inside. We got the integration with GitHub. We got... What else we got in there? Um, There's a new well, thing
0: that uh, we haven't seen. That I saw, we seen that we talked about the streaming capability that they're bringing on, right? To query yeah. data, and streaming.
1: Well, with, well, what they added was the data explorer engine, right? So they, yeah. so something that happened was uh, a while ago they said we're going to bring streaming okay. into the SQL engine um and then they they never announced anything about it and instead they put the data explorer engine inside so i don't know if maybe that's been a change of direction could be but anyway let's keep okay and finally the latest big uh, service that microsoft has been putting a lot of work into as part of this intelligent data platform is the azure purview maybe Lauren, can you tell us what is azure purview and just walk us through the Azure oh, yeah. view announcement. Yeah, well. just,
0: I think it's clear for everyone that works with big data and analytics project that governance becomes like a really pain in the neck. So we have seen a lot of companies just, you know, just releasing their own way to govern, to apply governance at the data. So purview is just a response for that. So now Azure is just bringing the capability for you to see your entire data spectrum, 365 in the 360 view, and be able to consume and see all the lineage of the data, just see all the flow of the information, which is really interesting. Um, It's based on Apache Atlas behind the scenes, so it uses Mm -hmm. the open source product and augments this capability to connect for all the Microsoft services, and then integrates and just generates the lineage.
1: And and it also allows you to use the Apache Atlas API to communicate Mm -hmm. to it as well, right? True. So if you want to publish your lineage from like, let's say you're writing some sort of custom process, you're not using, uh, you know, let's say Azure Data Factory, right? Azure Data Factory is is integrated with Purview, so you don't have to do anything. And Purview will pick up the lineage information from Data Factory. But if you're, let's say, working from Databricks, then you can use the API to publish the lineage data from Databricks into your Purview um catalog if you wanted to right so that's pretty cool
0: as well and i think it's just getting a lot of traction this this one specifically because i've seen a lot of customers requesting like new capabilities and new ways to conform and you know just analyze and see the data on azure preview so i'm not going to be uh i would say surprised if we see more and more updates coming out recently on the azure preview
1: yes so that's definitely uh, a gap that microsoft needed to close right we had that azure data catalog v1 and it wasn't it wasn't really that good it didn't get a lot of attention right uh, And as opposed to purview right now purview is getting a lot of investment a lot of new stuff coming out on it um so it's definitely has definitely changed uh, a lot so for example some of the stuff that we announced for purview for, um, during build is that there's new security roles, on um, purview that will allow people to manage uh, security of the data through purview. So that's really cool. This is similar to, I think Microsoft is trying to do here. What AWS has done with Lake formation, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know if you're familiar with Lake formation, but in Lake formation, you can, you can use Lake formation as your, uh, centralized security management hub right so instead of having to give people a bunch of grants on redshift and on glue and on s3 right you just you create a data set in lake formation and then you give the grants on lake formation and then all the services that are integrated with lake formation will read that grant data uh, automatically for you right so that's pretty cool i think maybe this is the direction that microsoft is trying to go to to make purview also that centralized security hub with all the services that you register to purview right that would be really cool if they uh can do that right so purview becomes yeah the governance boundary i think that's i'm pretty waiting neat. for that yeah for that. so that's pretty cool all right um let's talk about the ai updates so we have some cool stuff here so now there's a new Open AI service. The idea is that this Open AI service will allow you to run any of the Open AI algorithms, right? So that's pretty cool. It's part of the Azure Cognitive Services as well. So, um, different models from Open AI will be available, including the GPT-3 ones. Those are the really famous ones that do the whole text processing. You can find lots of uh, memes and <laughs> articles online about stuff, right? That people ask GPT uh, to write something for them. Right. So that's, that's pretty cool. And all that stuff is now going to be in its own AI service. And another one that I saw, I don't know if you saw this one, but this one I thought was pretty neat is the Azure cognitive service for language summarizes documents and conversations. Wow. Did you see that? So they I have see this one. Thing.
0: It sounds yeah, impressive.
1: So yeah. The demo is pretty cool. So the demo is they, they, they have like a, Uh, chat, for example, between a person and a customer service rep, right? Everybody nowadays, all those websites, they have these like support chats, right? And you go in and you talk. But the cool thing about it is that, you know, maybe the customer and the rep had a long conversation, but then somebody else later just wants to, you know, look at the summary, right? So automatically the service reads the conversation and produces a summary, right? So instead of having like to read every single back and forth, uh, it automatically tells you, let's say, okay, customer wants to return product, whatever. Uh, Rep said we can return it for no cost. Uh, Shipping will be done by some date. So you get the summary right away. It just trims off all the extra part of the conversation for you. So I thought that was really cool. And I can see how that's really useful, right? For a lot of reasons. Um, That's just one use case, but imagine you can probably do that publish summaries for you know a whole sharepoint um website right and then people can just try to find things based on summaries or people can just read the summaries before they have to open up the whole document a lot of cool stuff like that i think uh that looks pretty neat Right. super useful yeah it's yeah.
0: impressive how how yeah. they do the, the the key stuff and generate that that's yeah
1: yeah i thought that was super pretty awesome. pretty pretty cool Um, let's talk about the containerization. I know you're a big fan of the containerization, uh, platforms. Maybe let's walk us through what is the new Azure container apps service and the updates on the Kubernetes service?
0: Yes, I I would start by saying yes. I am indeed a big fan of containers and yeah, we we have, I would say that we have two major flavors inside of Azure to run. How, how do you run your containers? You have the Azure Kubernetes service, uh, which is just pretty much the uh the kubernetes uh the 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 true vanilla kubernetes managed by microsoft Mm -hmm. and you have the azure container apps the difference between them is that on the azure kubernetes service you still have to deal with the kubernetes uh, platform you still have to tweak to apply some changes to increase cluster to maybe create nodes and things and stuff like that just pretty specifically for Kubernetes. But on the Azure Container site apps, you don't have to manage anything. So Microsoft automatically just gives you the platform where you don't have to be concerned about any infrastructure at any time since day one. And you just have to deploy your apps inside of this and it's going to be backed by Kubernetes, but you don't have to play anything or just deal with Kubernetes, which is really cool. And I think we have scenarios for that, right? Is I mean, whenever we see like a managed solution coming out like that, people used to have uh, to throw everything on Azure Container Apps and maybe just forgetting that Azure Kubernetes Service is something. But I think we have two different scenarios Uh, for Azure Container Apps. It's just more specifically for customers that wouldn't like to tweak or to you know just read deep uh, on the Kubernetes, so you just have to put your your application on container apps, and it's gonna run smoothly. Also, it offers a tight integration with the Azure services like Azure Monitor and and technologies that's gonna track and do a pretty cool uh, way to maintain your applications. On the flip flip side of the coin, the Azure Kubernetes service now brings something just really interesting. So Draft used to be a technology built by Microsoft. Whenever you're building an application on Kubernetes that you have to deploy, this process it's cumbersome. So you have to pick okay. up, you have to create a Docker file, you have to containerize your the application, then you have to put this in a repo, and then from the repo you have to call your Kubernetes service to catch up there through YAML file. So draft two, uh, actually draft was had been enhanced, and now we have draft two that's gonna make all of this process that I told you before automatically. So you're going to instantaneously just do any changes on your app and Draft is going to take care of all this in-between process and deliver okay. your, your application on Kubernetes just working. So it just and makes deployment
1: they, a lot easier. So.
0: Yes, just super easy. And they integrated integrated this on the Draft Azure CLI. So now you can easily just call the CLI and it's going to do everything behind at the scene tree. Um, something really interesting also on the auto scaling perspective, Uh, you have the horizontal pod scaler on Kubernetes, which is something that they just give out of the bat. But KEDA is just gaining a lot of traction. So KEDA, for people that doesn't know, is just a Kubernetes-based event-driven outscaler. So different from the horizontal pod scaler where we have rules for that, KEDA, it's based on metrics or events. So you can, for example, you can say something like, when we hit 80% of usage, you can just create two more containers and then automatically, based on the events, it's gonna just open up more pods for you automatically.
1: That's uh, cool.
0: And it's, yeah, it's gaining a lot of traction. And uh, just to let you know, KEDA okay, is an open source product, so it can be used not only on Azure Kubernetes service, but can use any Kubernetes uh, like engine. Which nice. Really cool. that, yeah, yeah
1: that's, that is really cool.
0: Yeah, that, that's just pretty much what we have for the containerization scenario.
1: All right. We have a couple of interesting updates on the Power Platform that mm. really caught my eye. Uh, first is, I don't know if you saw this, the a rebranding of, it used to be called Power Apps Portals. Apps. And now it's going to be called Power Pages. Power Pages is low-code development for business websites and business forms, right? So they're making it really easy for people to create their own websites and their own business forms with this uh, Um, development uh, environment called Power Pages, right? And it has been uh, redesigned as well with some pretty interesting capabilities. I don't know if you saw this demo, but there's a demo that they showed at the conference where uh, this uh, lady takes a piece of paper and she draws a form in the paper. Did you see this? No. No. No, so it's really cool. So she takes a piece of paper, she draws the form, like she just like, you know, puts like okay, the name uh-huh. and then the little line, and then she says, okay, a date, and then she writes like you know, that puts like a the spot where the you would pick the date, and she just drew it with her hands, and then she takes a picture with her phone, and the power pages automatically generates wow. a form based on the drawing, and then you just have to pick like this is a list box, this is a calendar this is a text box etc cetera, etc cetera, and that's it and then uh, behind the scenes it does everything and then you can just without code again all, all low code or no code at all and then you just say okay and now this form just go out and save it to you know uh, as an azure database basically right so everything's fully managed and it's just you know you don't even have to drag and drop labels and stuff on the screen, wow. you can even just draw it with your hand, take a picture, and it generates a form for you. I thought that was really, really cool. Talk about the future of, of low code or no code, right? You just draw something and let the computer create the actual thing for you. That was pretty amazing. Yeah, yeah I thought it was really cool. And then yeah, the yes. other thing, and this one is a big one. I don't know if you saw this one. It's called a data mart in Power yeah. BI. Yes, right? yes. Really interesting that basically Microsoft is saying look if all you want to do is to create some data marts and you're not interested in you know using the full power of azure then just do it all inside power bi right so this is um, targeted for workloads up to a terabyte so it's not really big data per se but i mean there's a lot of different people that have way less than one terabyte of data that might be interested in this right so Without having to do anything, um, the the whole uh, storage of your data mart is managed by Power BI. The compute is included, managed by Power BI as part of the Power BI Premium. Um, all the operational stuff will be managed by Power BI, right? Like your HA, uh, your backups. Um, do you see the use case here? Do you? Because uh, part of me thinks, well, this is really cool for users that are, you know, they might not be necessarily uh hardcore uh warehousing people or it people
0: but, yeah but, but sometimes the part they are... is like
1: isn't it a lot to put in power bi right like you're locking so much functionality inside power bi too like what do that's you think a good
0: about point. that's a good th- yeah uh, that's a good point I-, I think that if you talk about people that have been building data margin data warehousing for the past i don't know 20 30 years they're gonna feel a little bit yeah they're not gonna want
1: to <laughs> use this
0: <laughs> yeah right because yeah. We have a bunch of things that we do behind the scenes to make it available at data Datamark. But I do see places where these feature would bring like good things. So it can alleviate a little bit of the IT demands in terms of, uh, let's say, for example, that inside of a silo inside of a company. So instead of you requesting for the IT team to build an entire data ETL process or ELT and just pump the data, transform the data and deliver, maybe... Uh, you can just tap into the data pretty easily and just do some munging and just deliver your data inside of Power BI. My only consideration on that is we should be extremely cautious about this because, as you said, we're just throwing a lot of responsibility inside of the visualization layer. And usually these type of tasks are being done by data engineering or through a different part that sits outside of the visualization. Because if you change the visualization tools, it's your entire process not going to be impacted. Rather than if you just stuck everything on Power BI, for example, if you have any problems to share this among uh, other teams, or if you're just, I don't know, for any sense, you're going to change uh, the visualization tool, that would be impact an entire code uh, restructure. Mm. Uh, what are your take on that? Do, do you How do you feel this?
1: No, I agree hundred percent. I agree hundred percent. I think the main thing is um what I would be more worried is you know, instead of it sounds cool, but could you end up with creating even more data silos? Yes, right? I think, yes. Every, I think yeah, yes. Imagine imagine a big place, uh, a big uh a big uh, a shop or of 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 customer of Power BI, right? And instead of trying to build um something that is uh, better governed and maybe more scalable and can integrate with more products you end up with a bunch of different teams creating their own data marts in power bi right so I- i'm not sure if that's really a scalable enterprise you know, solution but maybe that's not what microsoft is trying to do here um
0: yeah that we'll might see might how see it a goes. little bit about the data mesh concept you know so embrace the mass. Everything is just siloed. Yeah, well, we that sounds really see, good on paper, that. But, um, <laughs> Yes. I'm yeah, not that, sure how it plays yeah, out I really agree.
1: well in practice, to be I honest. For, for a lot of places, maybe for really big corporations that could work. I I don't know if it works that well for a small, medium-sized
0: business, to be honest. Yeah. We'll see. I feel a little bit skeptical, to be honest, with that feature. But I, I know that for Power BI users, they're going to feel happy to have this boarded on the platform
1: could be yeah we'll see how it evolves right and also whether it it kind of like will it take away business from synapse for example right if people just instead of deploying synapse it'll just be like ah, whatever i can just do data in power bi right and then as long as you don't need uh, if you're doing everything with power bi data flows right you have to really buy into the whole power bi ecosystem for sure. it to work
0: right true true
1: sure. all right And finally, the last uh, update for today that I had on the list is Microsoft is releasing the .NET multi-platform app UI. This is built on .NET 6, and it's pretty cool. It's a new framework for building modern multi-platform natively compiled apps for iOS, Android, Mac, and Windows using C Sharp and XAML with a single code base. So the idea is that you can develop one app and as much as possible, you can utilize like the universal APIs to access things like isolated storage, different sensors on the devices, the geolocation, the cameras, all this stuff in a single code base. And then you just recompile, you retarget a different platform and it adapts the look and feel of the platform that you are targeting. So i thought this is a very ambitious obviously and very very interesting this kind of reminds me of uh right they tried to do this uh before Um, this looks like an evolution of that of that idea and uh i guess we'll have to see how it plays out but i thought it's pretty cool and i thought it's really smart too from microsoft as well right it is a smart move
0: it is a smart move and yeah i don't know how developers would actually react to that because well, we they need to gain there.
1: right they need to yeah. gain uh, they, they have lost a lot of ground with developers i find true right true. a lot of developers are not using the dot net uh stack because they they still think it's mostly a windows only thing right
0: yeah. yeah yeah i'm anxious to see how that would evolve
1: yeah, and to see how uh, if it really works. Sometimes they, you know, these universal platforms. They say, "Oh, it's just a single code base, and you can target mm-hmm. all these different things." And then once people start actually using it, is uh, it's not really, it's not really the same, right? It uh, it looks really good on one platform, and it looks really bad on the other. Yes, or you're missing functionality yeah. in one platform that, that you don't have on the other, and stuff like that. But, I mean, it, you know, it's a nice they, idea. I mean,
0: Yes, in in the description it says that it's just building natively, you know. And if that really works as we expect, that should be something really cool that Microsoft is just trying to uh, to bring it on. You know, it's just just put out there. So yeah, yes. let's see how it goes.
1: And to all the people that are not have, uh, that are still skeptic about .NET, I will say uh, we have been working with .NET Core Epithian for. A couple of years now for our own internal tooling, and it works really well on Linux. Like we've tested our stuff both on Windows and on Linux. So I do know, or I'm pretty confident that the multi-platform capabilities or .NET are definitely there now. It's not necessarily just a Windows framework at this point, right? They have definitely invested a lot to make it really multi-platform. So this just makes sense to make the. GUI multi-platform as well right that's the cool thing about this all right anyway parting thoughts Luan um out of all these announcements which one is uh, your I, top I, one favorite
0: uh, wow well, yeah it's hard to pick just but I think I want yeah I think I want I want to pick the Azure Synapse Analytics I think it's just getting more and more traction just customers using a lot and I'm just kind of expecting more and more integrations with no etl coding and just bringing more you know so the whole idea use. of
1: synapse link is yeah i like it really like yeah
0: i like the synapse link a lot
1: yeah i know that's a, what about that's, you it's a what huge about time who? saver right it is uh for me i'm gonna go with my favorite one right now really is about the improvements in the compute layer of cosmos db i think these are <laughs> You know, game changers as well. Up to one terabyte, for full serverless capacity, the ability to share throughput across database partitions. So it's going to make it so that it's a lot harder to get hotspots. For example, um, the the new uh, backup point in time restore capabilities on Cosmos DB. So people can really adopt it as a mission critical database. Right, you can do point in time restore on it now which was missing before, and I, I can see how some people don't want to do mission critical if you can't do point in time restore, right? Uh, but now that it has all that there, it's just, I think it's a phenomenal product and uh, it's just, it's just getting better for sure.
0: Yeah, I think I wasn't smart because I would have to pick the Microsoft intelligent data platform. <laughs> you wouldn't yes. solve. It has
1: everything. Yeah. Yes. All right. Well, and with the Microsoft Intelligent Data Platform thoughts in mind, we want to say, I want to say thank you, Luan, for joining me this morning. Pleasure. And uh, to everybody else, remember, this is just a list of the main things that we wanted to talk about. But um, if you want to see the whole list again, just go and search for Microsoft Build 2022 Book of News and you will get the entire list. It was definitely a uh, fun conference to watch watched it virtually as well and um just a lot of investment from microsoft uh to their cloud and it just keeps getting better and better and until next time everyone thanks for listening bye 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 guys
0: navigating the data scape